0: Welcome to Pivot, a podcast for church leaders, co sponsored by Luther Seminary's Faith Lead and LEAD. Welcome to Pivot. I'm Terry Elton from Luther Seminary.
1: And I'm Louise Johnson, and I work with LEAD. And with us today is Pastor Mike Carlson, who is not only a dear friend, but maybe most of you know him as just an excellent pastor. He's one of those few leaders who I think can look at big structural organizational work and care very deeply for every last and lost sheep. So, Mike, it's a privilege to have you with us here on Pivot, and we're looking forward to hearing from you and just learning from you about the kind of ways that you have been leading and what you've been experiencing in this liminal time. So, I want to start out by just Asking you a question, are, are there any stories that come to mind, any things you could think of? Tell us a little bit about your context and then maybe about a, a ministry challenge you've had, a way in which you had to navigate some of this liminal space we've been in.
2: Well, thank you. It's an honor to be with you all here I serve a congregation in the suburbs of uh, Minneapolis, St. Paul area, and it's um, a larger congregation. We have about 2,500 in our worship attendance weekly. Who knows what it is online, but we'll just say 2,500 and move on from there. We gather as staff to tend to the vision and mission that's been set forth by the congregation, and I view my job as the chief tender to and of that mission and vision, that my call in preaching, in stewardship, in execution is all about how this pod of people navigates that vision in the context of St. Andrew's Lutheran Church, Matamidi, Minnesota. I have to say the biggest challenge for me lately has been keeping an eye on the mission and vision of what's happening in our congregation and not exclusively responding to a pandemic. Here's what I mean. When news came that we should consider very directly suspending in-person worship, and when the news kept gathering about the potential threat and deadliness of COVID-19, we all, including myself, moved into a triage model of guarding and protecting the system, mm. the system. And for me, uh, I just sort of turned into Mama Bear and, and I'm going to protect this church system, That the triage, right? I had to figure out what was going to be broken, what was going to work, what wasn't going to work. And my wife, being a medical personnel, the word triage really really helped. But I realized early on I was tending to the to the system and not the mission, right? How are we going to take offering? How are we going to pay these people? How am I going to visit people in the hospital when I can't go to the hospital? That was sort of tending to the system. The larger missional question I had to stop, and it wasn't, I, I kind of felt myself moving into this reactive reality of how to care for a congregation and not to a mission. And and I got together with a brigadier general from our congregation, some other really high-level folks that think about systems all the time, and a high school teacher. And I just said, I'm scared. I'm scared. And I'm scared for the church. And that team looked at me and said, but you're always talking about the mission. (laughs) And it was like something clicked, right? Okay, let's, just for a moment, stop thinking about the to-dos of the system and start thinking about the possibilities of living out our mission, which is to proclaim Jesus Christ, live in Christ, and serve so that the whole world may know the healing power of Christ's love. We had right in front of us a new way to express this vision to a whole, I'd say, country or world that suddenly was asking different questions than they were asking a few months before. I can tell you there are these three T's I picked up along the way. I didn't write them. I don't even know where they came from. So I'll footnote the Holy Spirit. But the the first is that triage. So I, I don't know if that helps.
0: When you just told that story about talking with those folks and talked about being scared, it just went right to my heart. Like, that's it. And I felt like, yeah, I know what that feels like. I bet others do too. And so my question is, what was that like to say out loud?
2: Well, many of us in leadership don't like to admit that we feel out of control, right? I mean, I'm not speaking for others. I'll speak for this one. I don't like to admit that I have no clue what the future looks like. I tend to envision a future and then help create it, right? I was trained for that. And and now I'm looking at a future. And frankly, and it was bad, but frankly, at the beginning, I had people telling me, can we use our parking lot to hold bodies? We just didn't know. So how do you plan for a future that is completely ambiguous in a system that is now rendered completely hand-tied, right? Sitting in a room problem-solving, I just said, team, I don't know, and I'm scared to death.
1: Wow. I think that resonates so much with so many leaders that – I've been in conversation with, and I know Terry, you and I've talked about that as well, just that kind of fear. And you said it so well, Mike, right? Like the system that we know and we were trained for and we know how to navigate, right? That's all been rendered incapacitated, at least initially, right? The ways we knew to do things we suddenly couldn't do. And the future was, and I think in large part still is unclear. And so I think that fear, I think so many... So many have been wrestling with that. So I just, I appreciate your name
2: that too. And they kind of helped me flip the question as opposed to how do I keep the system going? And I, I remember the, the school teacher looking at me going, but what do our people need? Not what does the system need? What do our people need right now? And that was the missional question that pointed me back to so that the whole world may experience the healing power, right? That I'm not the chief tender to the system. I'm the chief tender to the mission. And that was freeing to say, okay, how do we live this vision out now that my hands are tied behind my back?
0: What also an affirmation to your mission and vision. This actually does matter. This is not just a corporate exercise that helps us in our decision-making process to be orderly. It actually matters for abundant living. Especially in the midst of chaos
1: and death and uncertainty. Well, I want to go back. I know we've got the first T is triage, but I think you had a couple more, Mike.
2: Yeah, yeah. And actually, I'll tell you the other two because they work together. So, triage, and again, my wife's a hospice nurse, so there's a great medical move there. You know, we got to check out what's working, what's not working, how we get all right, let's, let's change this up. We can't see our people. So how are they? So all of that kind of forms into the second, which I would call transition. We're not going to be able to function like we did before. We're going to have to function in a new way that leads to the third T, which is transformation, right? Mm-hmm. And if you've done any kind of work at all, you know that transformation, kind of that movement back and forth creates chaos and conflict. And so in that, now, triage, everybody loves triage, and frankly, it's easier to stay in triage and just be pastoral care guy, right? We can we can call, we can love them up, and does it hurt when you bend your arm? But now, if we're going to go from transition to the way it's been, to a place of transformation, it means that we're going to publicly and organizationally acknowledge that things are going to change, and that's going to create conflict. I'd be lying if I told you that I didn't really want to just stay in triage, because at heart, it's much more fun to just kind of tell people it's going to be okay, little puppy, and kind of move on, right? But uh, we can't do it that way anymore, and that's just too bad. Isn't, isn't that what people want to hear? So we had to we had to make some movement into new ways of being church, new ways of connecting with people, new ways of doing weddings, preschool, all, all of this transitional work that moved into I think, I mean, I'm a little embarrassed. They did a little, the news came and said, put the microphone in your face. And they go, so how is this going to change you? And I go, well, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. (laughs) We now do all of our services online and all of our Bible studies online. And we have more human engagement than we ever did before. And more conversation, more people involved in Bible study. And by all accounts, more people engaging in worship in one way, shape, or form. And I don't think that's going to change after everybody gets a needle in their arm for this. So so we have to structure. We had to do budgetary changes. We don't need a sacristan anymore. We, we need a, a Zoom technology expert. <laughs> you know? right. And for mission to be a true impact, it has to affect your budget your staff, the way you fire and hire. And for us, this has never been more clear. And I love what you say. You don't want to waste a good pandemic. There are things that we've been able to accomplish that we wanted to accomplish way before, but I think it's Friedman. It talks about failure of heart, failure of nerve. Our hearts were too big to make some changes that quite frankly had to have been made, but now What a great way to use the pandemic, right? Uh, To make missional changes that you've been thinking one of these days we're going to do.
0: So, what in your experience was the hardest about that? Because, as you said, the sacristan we don't need and we need the technologists. Well, there's a face that went with the sacristan, right? Or you know, the people that loved this thing that is now going to go away. So, how did you navigate the just human side of each one of those decisions because it's not that your head and your heart don't talk to each other. I know you enough to know that you think about the people.
2: Yeah, I mean, for us again, the compass is the mission and it would have been easy to say this is a financial thing but that would have been a lie. I don't know why, I don't know how but financially people showed up and we're in some ways better than we were before. To tell people this new reality is going to last forever. And we want to reach those people again with the mission. There are hurting, lonely people in the only sense of regularity and hope that they get is on Sunday morning at nine o'clock when the pastors figure out a way to get into their living room mm-hmm. and pray with them. That has to be first. And I think people get that when you go there with them, but it takes a while and, you know, there's pain in that.
0: I appreciate the comment about It's not really about finance. It's about realignment. Yeah.
1: You know, Mike, when you were talking about the transition to transformation, right, that there are some pain points along the way, that it's easier to stay in triage, which I completely understand, right? That's the stuff we're trained for. It's what we know how to do well. And heading into the unknown, you started a whole new set of programs. And so, you know, you you don't ever know if that stuff is what people need or if it's going to work or whatever. And so I'm just curious, again, how you navigated some of that transition into transformation, like what the big questions are for you.
2: Well, one of the things we've always realized at St. Andrews and I think other churches is that faith isn't confined to the church building, right? Everybody knows that, but it seems as if faith conversation tends to often be confined within this tradition to the church building. Well, now we don't have a church building. So we launched in our Life You series, kind of our adult Bible study series, a time for people to learn to tell their own Bible story, their own faith story, their own story, right? And then to come back in a Zoom experience and talk about how that was for them in the laboratory of the real world And there's a distancing and maybe a safe distancing that can happen in Zoom as people are telling their stories to other people. For some reason, it just worked. And I don't think it would have worked in the same way or even nearly as effective in a non-COVID world, right? So giving people those tools and giving them, I mean, they've been saying it for years, but giving them their faith back to themselves to curate and to be curious about in their worlds. So that's been a real blessing for us to kind of push back out and see how that goes. Yeah, I mean, it comes at a cost. We're pretty clear that we don't have worship the way some churches have decided to, where there's no real music in our in-person worship right now. Our Zoom provides a musical experience, but folks are having to make decisions about going somewhere else, and we bless them on their way. But it seems to me the more clear we get about our vision, that also means we're pretty clear about what we're not, right? And again, that movement from triage to transition to transformation, you lose people in the process. I don't want to talk about my faith. I just want to watch it. Don't push me. So in our decision to be missional, there's also a decision to not be all things to all people. And that's hard for us. That's hard for us.
1: What are the things that have sustained you in making those kinds of challenging decisions?
2: I don't want to sound like I'm pushing it, but I really believe in our vision. You know, we worked really, really hard. The mission and vision that St. Andrew's came up with We asked the community, what should the church be about? We asked our members after they learned what the community thought we should be about. Then we educated them. Then we asked the congregation, now that you know what they say, what do you say? And the congregation fell in love with where the community wanted us to go. I don't know. I just bought hook, line, and sinker into this vision that the church really does matter and offers into this painful, polarized place, it really does offer healing you cannot find anywhere else. And so I would say more than colleagues, which have been incredible, and therapy, which I think all pastors need to be in, I think for me, it's been the mission. It's been the mission. It just drives me.
1: I love that. It speaks so much to the counterintuitive and countercultural nature of the gospel, right? Which often asks us, I mean, I, one of the texts I've been traveling with in this pandemic is Matthew 11, I think it is. And, and Jesus talks about, you know, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so, I, but I think when I started to dig into that text, one of the things that I recognized was that that Jesus doesn't ask us to like, Lay down in our comfy chair and binge watch Netflix, right? But instead their actions, right? It's a their verbs and that come to me and then take my yoke, right? So I mean, I think sometimes the last thing we want to do when we're already burdened is to take on another yoke, right? And so I think it's sort of an interesting thing, right? to, To just lean into that. And so how is it that we trust? this vision, right, that came to you through the community and then was blessed by the congregation itself. I love that, you know, in this time of great stress and trial, that leaning into that, taking that action, which again, counterintuitive and countercultural at the moment, that that becomes a source of strength. So I just think that connection is always really interesting to me. At the very points at which we're at our, our lowest, sometimes the invitation is to lean in I mean, I see you do that. I know you well enough to know that that's some of the work that you're doing. And it's a skill to know how to do that without wearing yourself out, because leaning in isn't just, it's not indiscriminate. You have to be discerning about what you're leaning into, right? Is it leaning into the vision or is it leaning into somebody else's anxiety about what you're doing? There's some discrimination that has to happen there. Some discernment.
2: Well, and letting the mission kind of move us, in context to what is happening around us, right? So when the political world was at its, I don't know if it was most divided, but the closer we got to the election when things were really getting hot, the big questions were who's going to be president, who's going to be, you know, who's going to do this and what's right and what's wrong. And then uh, we have a social worker who goes to our church and I was just sort of kind of falling into the banter about, yeah, why can't we all just get along? And I'm just trying to keep things together. And there was, a, there was another question that I heard almost whispered in the back of a Zoom room, But well, what's going to happen to all the homeless people if the moratorium isn't extended? It was just this, this little whisper about a different question. And I remember two seminary experiences. The first was the church needs to live in the gap, right? And the best pastoral ministry we can do is to find the gap in the community. An answer who can fill that. And the second is like that, and it is the power of the church is to convene. We can pull people together like nobody else, and I don't know why that is, and I don't want to waste that. With this social worker's whisper in the back of the room, there was a louder voice in my heart than who's going to be president. And the team I work with pulled together state, local, county, nonprofit, LSS, all we convened. You were you were with us and helping us think through that, Louise. You know, there were, there were 40 people in a room problem solving. What are we going to do if the moratorium isn't extended and we have 5,000 people in this county? Most of them are children. What are we going to do? So so this loud banter about president, but the deeper, quieter, I would say, in some ways, more pressing question sort of rose to the top. And Listening to all of those things in light of our vision, so that the whole world may know the healing power. There's a new kind of clarity that comes then when we get to hear those whispers. And that's sometimes the hardest part.
0: I love that. One of the things that, as you were telling about the opportunity for people to tell their own stories of faith and the moment of how that happened on Zoom in a different way than would have in a physical space. I also think, and we talked a lot about this in season one with Scott Carmode, about listening to people's longings and losses. I think there is a a heart palpitation that if we church leaders listen to the small echoes, right? People want the church to help them make meaning of a time in our world that no one is tending like yeah. i think there's a sense of no one wins when it's either or us in them and at least in the people that i know the communities that i know they have family members and friends that are on various positions on any given hot topic and they're navigating those you know very carefully at sometimes and so to find a new narrative right to actually believe in the gospel that Message that I have come and I've come to give you life abundantly, not as the world gives, but as a different vision. And what I'm hearing you say, and my hunch is that most of our mission and visions of congregations, if we actually put them into the pains of the world, they would speak a different truth. They would provide a hope. They would say, go to the gap right and be the gospel hmm. and then figure out the divisions or then figure out
2: you know it's been i didn't expect it coming so and i didn't really want to do it i felt too busy but we were invited to each take a, a bible book uh, as pastors and lead a bible study and so i did yeah and it was probably one of the other things that sustained me the most is i did 6 weeks of genesis and now i'm doing 6 weeks of exodus and what has been just sort of blowing me away from the beginning of Genesis all the way through, there's this—and maybe it's just where I am in my life—this overarching narrative of God creating in barrenness, right? From the absolute nothing of the tohu and vohu, the primordial nothing— to Adam and Eve, and to Sarah and Abraham, and to Joseph, and then to Moses, and just in the desert and the rock. And we've all been in this exile, emptiness, and it gets you emotional if you think about it, because it's these empty places every single time, the biblical witness, all the way up to the cross, in the self-emptying of Jesus that the fullness of the gospels revealed. And there's been something in there for those of us that sit in empty rooms with empty hearts. And for more people than in a long time, an empty chair where someone's gone now, we have a God who is incredibly powerful in emptiness.
0: Woo. Amen.
2: Oof-ta. So that's the real deal.
0: As we look at Lent, And as, at least for me, Lent reminds me, this all began in Lent, right? And that I had a really powerful grief moment of I was at the virtual extravaganza last weekend. And the rush of grief of this was the last time I was with people my people, you know, my church people and was life-giving and how both it was a pleasure to get to be together virtually and how reminded I was how much I missed the last year of that. And I think to your point, Mike, I kind of thought I'd been dealing with it all along. And then that Friday in between, I went to my husband, I'm like, this He's like, How was it? I'm like, This sucks. Really? Is it bad? I'm like, No, I just, it so reminds me what I don't have. So I think for you, Mike, to name that and to say that's where God has faithfully showed up is gospel. Yeah. Well, thanks for powerful stories. Thanks for three T's to help us think about leading in these liminal times. Is there anything that, As you think about others leading in this liminal time that you didn't get to say that you'd want to share as we close today. It's
2: probably been said too many times. Be gentle with yourself. Make best friends with your mission. And be really clear what that is. And don't forget to play.
0: We meant to that.
2: (laughs) Thank you all very much. This is good. This is good.
0: One of the things we want to do is tell stories from the ground from the trenches of how hard it is to lead in this time, but also messages of hope that this is not our mission. This is God's mission. We're joining and we're learning as we go. And I don't know about you, Louise, but that's how I learn best about how we are emerging into the future is from the conversations with the folks on the ground. Anything you want to wrap up with us today, Louise?
1: I just want to add my word of thanks. To yours, Terry, to say thanks to you, Mike, and not only for the opportunity to engage this conversation today, which has been in and of itself transformative, but just thanks to you for the ministry that you are about at St. Andrews and in the world. We're just grateful for you and grateful for this time together.
2: A good time to be the church.
0: Well, as we wrap up our second episode, I'm happy to say that we now have an online community that you can join in. And information will be where you can get this podcast. The link will be there. And this week, we are going to engage the question, what are you learning about leading in liminal space? So we'd love you to chime in and begin this ongoing dialogue with us. So thanks for joining us, Mike. Thanks, Louise. And thank you for joining us for this second episode in season two. Thanks for joining us for this episode of our Pivot Podcast. For more leadership resources from LEAD, you can go to waytolead.org or from FaithLead, go to faithlead.luthersem.edu.